Please don't stop on my account, Jaina. We have no secrets here. Why, that's all we do have. Secrets. That's how we live. By shutting off the world, turning our backs on it. While you, soundless, fleshless things glide around here and with your efficient ministrations turn my father and my mother into jelly. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we hope that you guys got the the fortune that you wanted and you could keep on with life and you're now with us. Or you feel like maybe your fortune was like, you know, outlook not so good. And then maybe you're still with us for this episode as well. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had a good run of episodes here. Um, things are going to be taking a turn tonight. So <laughs> not to spoil how I feel about this. But uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the past couple. Yeah, and so not to not to you know talk about the sausages made, but just I'm just going to reveal here that uh, we've we've almost talked an hour before we started recording about <laughs> anything other than this episode, and that's usually not a great sign about how we feel about something when we're dragging our feet. We're still going to have a fun talk about it, um, and I feel bad because there's going to be that one person that's like, "This is my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone," and I'm like. You know, you, you can like it. It's fine. It's okay to like things. Um, yeah. You know it's bad when I can't even make it like, <laughs> like 30 seconds in. into an episode before spoiling how I feel. Yeah. Um, but I do want to give a shout out. Um, I'm Hopefully they won't run out of them before my next payday. But uh, I found a pin company called 23 Skidoo Pins that has an awesome Mystic Seer uh, enamel pin where the head is on a spring. So it kind of goes back and forth. It's it's really cool, but uh, go check it out. They I think they have an Etsy page. Um, yeah, didn't you? Was it uh, Al Goro that pointed out the time enough at last pen? I think they're the ones that do that too with the the glasses and the stack of books. Oh uh, no, it, was it I you? found that uh, I found that on another website. Um, oh, okay. I can't remember who did that one. Yeah, but there's also another pin out there. Um, it's got three books stacked up with the broken glasses on top. It says time enough at last on the spines of them. Really cool stuff out there. But I'm hoping they don't run out of that Mystic Seer pin by the time I get paid next week. That's cool. And I meant to yeah. mention last time we recorded, um, I was at the the Cleveland Pinball Expo uh, in Independence uh, like two weeks ago, and they had the Twilight Zone machine there, which is like one of the more popular like pinball machines of like all time. And that one's hard. It is hard. And if you go to the Wikipedia page and read about all the stuff that's in the machine, uh, like they're the they actually have a little tiny version of the slot machine from um, the Fever in there. And some other stuff that's pretty cool. Um, and I'm just saying, I, I I got something for you from the show, and I forgot to bring it to you last time I saw you in person. Remind me, it, it is specific to the Twilight Zone. Um, so, yeah, that's a nice little transition. But like, I'm going to tease you with a gift for later. Oh, nice. Well, uh, thank yeah. you in advance. Yes. And uh, that's a good segue. When, uh, when I see it, I will probably post it on our new Instagram page. <laughs> oh, there we go. I didn't see uh, that one coming. That's a yeah, twist. Uh, yeah, I started an Instagram page because uh, Tumblr was too hard for me. So <laughs> I, I, I know I've been it. talking for the past two months about setting up a Tumblr page. Uh, it seems like in 2017, people like Instagram more. So I guess we're on there now. And it's kind of fun being able to hashtag Twilight Zone and seeing everything else going on. That's how I found those pins. Oh, okay. That's cool. All right. So um, yeah, go on there. Find us uh, a Strange Highways podcast on there. So maybe we should start talking about the episode or we can talk about whatever we want tonight. It's fine. It's fine. We can talk about other things. The yeah. episode that we watched was lateness of the hour. We could talk about whatever else. That's no, fine. Uh, this is, well, see- we both saw it. So yeah, we, did we see can it. go back into that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll get there. Uh, 
<laughs> this is at season two, episode eight, air date December second, nineteen sixty. Uh, number one song, and this one's going to be with us for a little while, is uh, Are You Lonesome Tonight by Elvis Presley. Um, number one film is that Butterfield 8 film that we talked about uh, last week about how we wanted it to be a Bad News Bears film, kind of. Uh, it's still not that. I forgot um, about that. Yeah. So uh, things that happened around this date, there's actually a couple things that, that are kind of pertinent. Uh, December 1st, so the day before, Sputnik 6. Uh, it was a five-ton sat- Soviet satellite. It was launched in orbit with two dogs. And I want to mess these names up. Uh, Pachelka and Amushka and some mice and some insects and plants. The next day, the capsule was reported to have burned up on reentry in the atmosphere uh, because it went in too steep of an angle. So the Russians oh. shot up a bunch of animals in space and they didn't quite make it back down. Um, so that has nothing to do with the episode. I just We talk about the space race often. That's just interesting and sad. Um, yeah, great light note to start the episode on. Yeah, well, it gets sadder here. Uh, so to this same day as this, uh, uh, this isn't actually sad. This is good, but you'll see why in a second. Uh, Eisenhower authorized the use of one million dollars for relief and resettlement of Cuban refugees who had been arriving in Florida at the rate of a thousand a week because they were just trying to get away from uh, Castro and all of that. And it's just an interesting parallel where we're like, okay, well, we got to re- give relief to these Cuban refugees. And now we're at a point of just like, we don't want anybody here. It's just, it just feels like the more we go, the more things, you know, whatever. It's just not good that we were kind of ahead of the curve of helping people. And now we kind of don't want to do that. So that's not good. But here's the, yeah. here's the good, the good, An- another light note to start yeah. the episode on <laughs> December 3rd, tomorrow, the next day, December 3rd, 1960, Daryl Hannah was born. And Julianne Moore, which I did not know that they were the same age. Did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you you had, uh, you know, Splash Lady and also from Kill Bill. And then Julianne Moore, who I just, I love her from uh, Boogie Nights and uh, also The Big Lebowski. Not Twilight Zone. And Carrie. Did you see? I didn't see (laughs) that. I didn't see it. I just... (laughs) And, and she had a good reoccurring role in 30 Rock. I don't know if you saw the later seasons with her. Uh, was um, was was she uh, Jack's ex-wife? Not, she wasn't the ex-wife. Or, she was a love interest and she was from Boston. And she had this oh, terrible yeah, that's right. accent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So neither here nor there. Anyway, that's it for yeah. what I got for my, my really uh, upbeat notes. So let's just get to the cast and crew. All right. And that'll be the last dead dog we talk about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> For real. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so this episode was directed by Jack Smite, who uh, we talked about on the episode The Lonely, which is funny, tying into this one. Yes. And uh, this episode was shot on videotape, which we'll probably discuss as we get into it. But he shot two other episodes for Twilight Zone. Both of those other ones, besides The, lon- the Lonely, were both uh, also videotaped. That makes uh, sense, just because of the setup they had for this. I mean, you probably want a director that's that is comfortable with this the setup. Yeah. Um, so if you want to hear us talk a little bit more about Jack's Mike, go back check out the Lonely. Great episode. Um, this episode was written by our friend Rod Serling. Go figure. Yeah. So I'll <laughs> jump into the cast here. We have the return of Inger Stevens, the beautiful Inger Stevens from the episode The Hitchhiker, as Jada in this. Happy to see her back. Um, not so happy with the role she's given in this one, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Always good to see her. Uh, then we have John Hoyt as Dr. Lauren, who was in one other Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I guess he was maybe the only or one of the only people um, you could probably speak to this to star in both Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. Well, I didn't know about the Battlestar Galactica. I probably skipped right over that. Uh, but I will mention he was in the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, which we've talked about before being the one mm-hmm. that they ended up using later. Um, so uh, in 1966, though, he appeared in an episode of The Outer Limits called The Bolero Shield. He played the role of an extraterrestrial with large eyes and a very distinct appearance. Less than two weeks later, uh, after the episode broadcast, uh, alleged alien abductees provided a description of their alien abductors. Uh, skeptic Martin Cottemeyer, whoever that is, notes that the description is notably similar to Hoyt's appearance as the extraterrestrial on the show. <laughs> Must be a good episode then. Yeah. It was that uh, deeply affecting some people. And uh, um, to point out, he was also in Flesh Gordon. I don't I don't know what that is, but it's a great name. Um, ah. And, yeah, I, I actually know that. <laughs> and in 1958's Attack of the Puppet People, I just like the name of that movie. So Nice. So I, I did find something interesting, too. Uh, I 
I feel like I should have been familiar with this because I was familiar with the film and it seems like a weird piece of film history that, like I said, I probably should have known, but he died of cancer. Um, and apparently it was from when they shot the movie, the conqueror. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Is that the John Wayne uh, one with the, the Genghis Khan thing? Yeah. So it first, the movie, uh, I don't know how controversial it was back then, but you know, there's a lot of talk about whitewashing a film right now. Uh, with Ghost in the Shell and Death Note coming out recently with all white cast. But this movie had John Wayne as Genghis Khan. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's not that it's it's terrible. Um, not that good. But apparently they shot um, in Utah and it was downwind of a Nevada national security site that they were testing nuclear weapons above ground. And uh, apparently... How many people was it? Um, I didn't write it down. Um, out of the 222 people working on the film, 91 of them developed cancer and 46 died of it. Wow. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. So he was one of the people from that movie that ended up dying of cancer from where they shot the thing. That's terrible. Like, I, I, remember, I know. I, yeah. Like, I feel like I should have heard of this before. It's it's insane. No, I'd, I'd heard of that before because there were some rumors that because John Wayne eventually died of cancer. That they yeah, think well, maybe, he also, yeah. I mean, him and uh, Hoyt apparently smoked like crazy, <laughs> and I think they both died of lung cancer. Yeah. But 91 out of 220 people, that's a pretty high st- uh, statistic to really just say it's a coincidence. Oh, and I mean, I think the further you go along with it, the the less of a coincidence it would be to people, you know, like I'm sure mm-hmm. at the time the movie studio is trying to cover their ass and be like, Oh no, 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 no. We didn't rate in anybody, you know, like that's, that's no, we're good. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it didn't help the lung cancer spread, you know? No, um, no. So the, the name, the conqueror was an apt name for that film, right? Yeah. But uh, interesting <laughs> film. I always just thought it was controversial because of the casting. Um, I had no idea that uh, about a fourth of the crew had died from cancer due to uh, public uh, just a health crisis on set. It's like um, it's like when you hear about like bad luck on a set of a movie. Like I know like uh, uh, on the Omen, there was someone like like was a plane caught a plane carrying Gregory Peck got struck by lightning. Someone died on the set. Like you hear yeah. those things. But it would be like the equivalent of that would be like would be one third of the Omen crew died due to glass falling on them. Like it would not be like it would just it would be weird to hear something like that, you know, like. Yeah. Or if like the entire Avengers crew got cancer bullshit, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty on the nose comparison. But all of them were near the Hulk. (laughs) They don't know what happened. It was bad. Yeah. Or the entire cast and crew developed superpowers from being (laughs) being near radiation. I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. But yeah. Very strange. Um unfortunate way for uh this actor to go yeah um but other than the star trek he was in spartacus as well i should mention because we've had a few people recently that were in that and i love that film um so we will jump on from there we have irene tedro who plays mrs mrs lauren um she was also in walking distance we discussed uh her character in that i believe uh most notably known for her role as mrs elkins in dennis the menace the series yeah, she did a lot of TV. It was like one of those people that you knew the face, but she just was always there, you know. And I, uh, I, I want to point out on her bio on uh, IMDb, it had a kind of uh, here we go, it, it, kind of a mean remark. It, she seldom, if ever, found a meaty part appearing way, way down the list of credits, if at all. Oh wow, <laughs> that sucks. But, I mean, that's not the entire bio, but. I feel like somebody edited that in. I it just seems so mean compared to the rest of this mini bio on here. It was um, the actor that played Dennis the Menace. We're gonna find out later. It was the it was the boy. He grew up to be a man and very angry at her. Yeah, I, I just felt bad because like I was flipping through her filmography. I'm like, eh, I don't really know any of this. Nothing really of note. And then I'm reading the bio and I was like, oh, it's kind of how everyone felt. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, there was like uh, like with there's some other people in there like that was part of the episode. I couldn't find anything really, really of importance with the yeah. Rest the, of the only cast. other uh, there was Tom Palmer uh, who played as Robert the Butler. I just wanted to mention him because he kind of gave me a Boris Karloff vibe from some angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Mary Gregory who plays Nelda, and she was in Monsters Who Do on Maple Street. That's but right. But yeah. everyone else just had like a couple credits. They weren't really anyone yeah. uh, well known. 
So yeah, that's it. Um, all right, let's let's just get uh, let's Serling take it away. This is just warning everybody. The audio on this one's weird. Uh, just because I guess maybe we should just like Kevin had mentioned that this episode was shot on videotape. So Serling he he starts talking like I, I, the, the the music cues weird. So bear bear with me. The residence of Dr. William Moran, which is in reality a menagerie for machines. We're about to discover that sometimes the product of man's talent and genius can walk amongst us untouched by the normal ravages of time. These are Dr. Lorenz's robots, built to functional as well as artistic perfection. But in a moment, Dr. William Lorenz, wife and daughter, will discover that perfection is relative, that even robots have to be paid for, and very shortly will be shown exactly what is the bill. A robot. That's yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure longtime <laughs> listeners to the show were so excited. <laughs> oh, and that comes from the lonely. That my, my favorite bit ever. A robot. Comes from the lonely, and then Serling calls it a robot. But the word's also used as robot in this episode, and I'm confused by that. But yeah. Um, yeah, same director, though, Jack Smite. <laughs> uh, two episodes so far uh, about robots, or robots, excuse robots. me. We just we just needed the the mighty Casey to show up in this, and it'd have been like perfect. Um, Maybe that was his direction. Maybe he preferred the pronunciation to be robot, and he was directing everyone on set. Well, no, because it was used right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I guess before we even, like, before we get into the episode proper, just to talk a little bit about this. So this this um, there, CBS was okay with the twilight zone. Like they, they approved him for a second season. Uh, the first season was 36 episodes. This one's cut down to 20, 27. I think something like that. It's, it's about like, you know, a fourth of it's gone, right? My, my, my bath's bad. So forgive me, but yeah. they, they did this to try to also reduce costs. And the first like third of the episodes were already done and they were either coming in above cost or right around, and so CBS is like, you guys got to get this reined in. So they they forced them, or they gave the proposition to Serling, like, hey, what if you did these six on video? And then there's a process that's called, um, oh, uh, kinescoping, uh, that mm-hmm. you record this on video, and then what happens is there's a fixed camera that they set up with film, so they play the videotape, and then the actual camera then films the videotape off of a screen. And then they transfer that later. So it was a cheaper way of shooting quickly so you could edit quickly, which was kind of unheard of at the time, get the the package the way you wanted it, and then archive it on film. And it was cheaper than shooting all your footage on film, developing it, and then editing it, and then putting it into a final final film. Um, this has some weird effects. If you watch the episode, you see that anything that's bright has a like a black halo around it, and anything that's black has like a white halo around it. It's just an artifact of the videotape at the time. Videotape is a technology. Really, what you see there was was less than ten years old in that type of format, and that's crazy to think about that they were using that for broadcast television. And even though ten years feels like a long time, if I'm paying a lot of money to have this sent out to people, that seems like you're kind of speeding up like something that's not all the way there. You know, yeah. and it's it's a weird look. It's a very much like a live TV or soap opera look to this. And because of that, the audio is also weird, too, because they're using mics above. Like you just couldn't you couldn't shoot in close like you could with uh, with directional mics and boom mics like you could on location with film or even do the looping later. So this is just it's there's six episodes. They're going to be odd. Yeah, but credit to Serling. He uh from what I can tell, looking through the videotape episodes, um, he was able to pick the correct ones that were able to be done on a soundstage like this shot uh, inside. Because also, they were not able to take the videotape outside at this point. Yeah. So everything that they were doing on videotape had to be done on a set. There was no exterior shots or anything. So credit to Serling for working with it and making it work. And, uh, you know, we'll get into our thoughts on this episode fully. But I, you know, it's it's a little jarring at the beginning because we've had some really beautiful episodes to look at, especially this season. Um, It's it's a little jarring at the beginning, but honestly, I don't think it's the format or the quality, even with uh, the questionable audio at times. Um, I don't think that's the major problem I have with this episode. 
Yeah, and just uh, just to put a pen on the 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 look of it, just uh, I went through and wrote down the, the production budget budgets in total for Eye of the Beholder, Nick of Time, and Lateness of the Hour, just to kind of give cool. you a comparison. Um, yeah. Eye of the Beholder was forty eight thousand five hundred ninety nine dollars. Nick of Time was forty three thousand two hundred sixty three dollars and five cents. Lateness of the Hour, once it was all said and done, forty two thousand five hundred seventy two dollars and nine cents. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it like and in the other five were like so that's the other thing too they they were all shot in a row so we talked about Jack Smite directing like three of them that makes sense because they were all shot back to back to back to back they're not shown in that order but it makes sense that they would have them all locked down at once so that way you don't have to keep switching back and forth with like production crew you know in terms of like a cost you know cost cutting you you want everybody there let's just go you know and that makes sense yeah um, and they said that you know, on average it was like. I, I read this somewhere. I was like a total savings of about 6,000 per episode. And everybody agreed that the drop in quality and the immobility of it was not worth the price, the, the, the savings of price. Yeah. Yeah. From what I, from what I read too about Jack Smite, I guess he was fairly uh, competent in videotape at this time. Yeah. And a lot of the directors they had worked with were not so far. So he was like a first choice, uh, fuck out and thought of to bring in for some of these videotaped ones yeah and even he said and he's like we really really focused on atmosphere and he said he's like even though i don't feel like the story was there i really wanted the atmosphere to come through and he felt like he did he did do that so i'll give i'll yeah. give him that and we'll get to that more and that feels like that's a thesis statement for this whole episode is that you know it, it felt it felt interesting it just may not have been the best yeah yeah, so we start out the episode. We have Jaina looking. Uh, she's standing by a window. It's raining outside, and she's holding a photo album. And uh, she starts kind of looking through the photo album, and you see her dad sitting in the back smoking a pipe. Um, her mother is getting massaged by the maid, yeah. uh, the maid Nelda. And she comes over, and she's looking through the photo album, and she's like, huh, like, um, and Nelda, you look, you look just the same back then as you do now. Weird. And, uh, she starts talking about everything in the house and how everything's perfect. The temperature is perfect. The, uh, fireplace is perfect. Everything's built perfectly. And she's kind of sick of it. And she wants to, we find out that she's never really been able to leave the house, which is, uh, really, I guess the second weird thing. Cause the little Nelda bit was something that kind of cue you into something is something's not right. Well, that and like the the fact that the the parents were in like complete like you know they were fine like the father was smoking the pipe, the the mother was getting a neck massage that she was just all about and it's <laughs> I get it it's weird just because she's making some really enjoyable noises for the neck massage that it's like out of context like when I was just like trying to listen for the audio it's like oh that doesn't sound right. But uh, so, but they're perfectly complacent. Like they're happy where they're at. And so Gina is like, well, you know, like, can't we just open the door, like the window to feel like the air and, and like, but this, like, she's basically just saying like these little things of like, maybe, maybe we should go out for dinner or maybe we should go do this or anything, you know? And, and it keeps kind of getting pushed away of like, why, why would you want to do any of that stuff? We're perfectly good where we're at type of thing. You know, like it's the perfect temperature here. It's like, was it 72 degrees, which that's not the perfect temperature, by the way. That's a little too warm. That would drive me nuts if I couldn't leave, if I couldn't get out of the house. that was like 72 degrees. Yeah, I I have my house set to 72 right now. It's actually <laughs> it's actually cold in here. Is it the so. optimum temperature? Is that what it is? Okay. It is. All right. So. All right. So I guess I guess uh, I guess I'm wrong. So that, <laughs> that's fine. But uh, so um, so they send Neldo away like because they're about to, about to have dinner. Um, and we know neck massages help with appetite. That's what we find out. And um, as Nelda's walking away, uh, Jana calls out to her. And oh, what does she say to her? But basically, she's trying to get her attention to I, just basically she's trying to get any interaction out of the servants, like something different, something, something different that doesn't happen every single day. Yeah. No, so she asks for the glass of water. That's what she does. I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah, she spills a glass of water and then throws it down, which the sound effect for the breaking glass comes like a second too late. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, so she's she's kind of throwing a fit and she's uh, yelling about the same things. And she has some great lines about that. Uh, this. Um, I'm, I'm jumping the gun here. So she runs out and talking about how she wants to live a life and leave the house and everything. And that all the servants, uh, you heard the clip in the beginning, turning them to jelly. And 
then Nelda makes a, she says, oh, it sounds like you're jealous. So Jaina's first instinct is to push her down the steps. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a pretty, uh, it made me laugh at first, but then it's kind of a violent fall. Like you actually see her head kind of hit one of the, uh, beams going down the steps and she bounces a little bit. I was like, Oh, so she gets to the bottom and there's actually probably my favorite shot of this episode. There's a close, a close up of her face as she's standing up and she has this really benevolent smile on her face. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, it was actually really scary when it happened. And, um, the dad comes in and he's like, Oh, you can't, I've built these things. So they're indestructible. And you find out that he's actually made robot servants for the house yeah. and that all of the butler, the maid, the chef are all robots. And I just want to point out, cause like this, this episode's all on basically, even though, okay, it's, it's one and a half sets. There is a bedroom for a second, but it's basically the, the, the smoking room. And then the, like the main um, foyer or whatever we'll call it. Um, yeah. whenever Gina first starts saying the things that she is upset with, there's a brief moment where the mom looks at the father and when the mom, she looks at Gina, she's like, what's the matter with you? And then she looks immediately at her dad, at, at the father or her husband, I should say, almost mm-hmm. like this look of like, why is she talking like this? And it only took me the second time watching this, realizing that the, the, the mother sending a look to the father of like, when she asked Gina, what's, what's the matter with you? She's not asking Gina that question. And it's um it's it's a it's a, a beat that's lost because as much as we loved Inger Stevens and the hitchhiker, because she had a mo- she had like voiceover playing a lot of her emotions and she didn't have to talk as much. And I'm not saying that she was terrible here, it's just that I just her character was very um I just I don't know. It was very They're they're yeah. two very different roles. Yeah, they are. I mean the hitchhiker is a very subdued, quiet episode. Um, this episode is over the top. Um, it's questionably goofy in certain moments. Um, it doesn't help the videotape aspect of it. This, this, you know, I said it might not have any, uh, bearing on how I feel about it. It does. It gives off that melodramatic soap opera vibe. Yeah. And so the whole time her acting is just way over the top and compared to hitchhiker where it's just her alone in a car with like quiet contemplation for most of the episode, it's a very different thing. So I, I don't think I can blame Inger Stevens on all of the problems with her character in this. That's true. I mean, her, her eyes are very expressive. And so you Mm -hmm. get, you get a lot of what she's going for, but I also understand that they're shooting this on a soundstage and you can't have, I mean, I would argue that you could have some quiet moments, but this is not how this episode felt. It felt like it was dialogue from the beginning to the end. We're going straight through the night. Talk, 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 talk. And they had to have her almost give like, almost like the Shakespeare, like soliloquies off. Like, and she's just like talking to, to hear, not hear herself, but it was very, it was so full of conversation that you, you didn't get a chance to let the actual characters breathe. And yeah, and, it was, and uh, yeah. I think I, I think the teleplay gets ahead of itself and spoils itself quickly because there is so much dialogue. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't really catch the mom looking to the dad at that point, but the next scene, uh, there's a line. So uh, we'll get to that. We cut to a few. I guess it's after dinner or whatever. She comes back down and um, the dad is getting his pipe lit and filled with tobacco again and everything. And she's kind of mouthing along with it. Like this is something that happens the same way every night. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, what was the actual word? Oh, I I didn't write down the actual quote. Damn it. Um, there it was. And she, uh, he goes, uh, we find you, we, we come down here and we find you rebelling like that. And, uh, he asks her, do you think that pleases us, Jaina? And she gives the answer, I don't know. Yeah. And right there, I, you know, that was the moment where I'm like, okay, I know exactly <laughs> where this episode is going. Sorry, I was trying to find the quote. I wrote it down. I wrote it on the wrong page of my book here. Um, but yeah, as soon as she says, like, I don't know what pleases you. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Immediately, you get the idea of who her character is actually going to be. 
Yeah, and and she pushes it further with um with talking to him about like uh about she feels like she's being raised like like basically socially like inept because she doesn't have these daily interactions and doesn't go outside and all this and and he gives this explanation of like you know his his viewpoint is you don't need that we're protecting you from all of this like we're insulated from the outside world the world isn't great this is perfect in here you know and he keeps trying to bring the point home of like you you don't need anything else because this is like I, everything i've built here has been you know to perfection you know and yeah it's it's a it's it's a creepy it's not a creepy you know conversation it's just that every time she raises some type of like you know argument about it they're always calling back with like well yeah that's why we do this is pretty much the explanation yeah i think uh out of this whole episode this little two minute scene is the most interesting thing because serling brings a lot of interesting ideas and they're not necessarily new ideas to the twilight zone but interesting nonetheless um he talks about how he created the chef and the butler and that they were born to be these things yeah you kind of get the (laughs) idea of like the class structure you know because they're obviously wealthy you know he's he's a scientist for a living and has time to just sit around great robots to wait on them they live in a big or what looks like to be a big mansion and everything. Um, so you get this idea of like class and you're supposed to be what you're born to be and everything. And there's that's, that's who you are is who they tell you you are. And, um, she talks about how they're becoming dependent on technology and they're being controlled by the machines. It's not us that are controlling the machines. Uh, just some interesting points that, Sterling brings up and like I said they've been done and they're going to be done again uh, in later episodes but this dialogue actually gave some meaning to the episode whereas a lot of the other stuff didn't really go anywhere yeah I mean so she eventually she eventually uh, draws a line in the sand saying you know if you don't get rid of the you know the servants then I'm leaving you know so he you know has to make a decision and he decides you know, if that's what she wants. Um, and I know, I guess we're kind of skipping ahead, but there's, there's really not much here in terms of like, yeah, I'm yeah, trying to stretch yeah. it out. But <laughs> um, and so he makes that decision. He, he pulls out his big television remote, brings all the servants together. And he's like, just go downstairs, wait for me. And then the one Butler's like, wait, you know, I, am I not a good Butler? He's like, just go downstairs. And I like that. Like they're all, they're all <laughs> questioning, like, did we not do a good enough job? You know? And so he sends them away. And then uh, she comes downstairs, see that you know, sees that this has happened, and then she's talking about how things are going to be different now. How we're going to go out, we're going to make friends, we're going to have parties. I'm going to meet a man. We're going to have children, and just the look on the mother's face of when she says that, it starts. You know, things start kind of clicking in place. No, no pun intended. Uh, yeah. For for Gina. Well- he starts trying to give a uh, answer like, "Oh, you know, parents always think of their kids as children," and uh, it's it's kind of upsetting to hear you talk about these things. And she runs over and picks up the photo album again. She's like, "Hold on a second. And she's flipping through, and she's like, "Why aren't there any pictures of me as a kid?" And this is really when it clicks that it's because she was born to be this age as their daughter, and that she was actually created by her father as a robot. Yeah, and because uh, presumably the, uh, her parents could not conceive. So, and so, and, and they and they love her. That's the one thing. Like, as yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's no uh, malevolence with their characters. Like nobody's trying to necessarily keep her there. No one's trying to do bad things to her. Like they just want to keep things how they are, um, and they love having her around. I, I you know. I, that is something though. Do they love the idea of having a daughter or do they love her for who she is? You know, I think it's more so the idea of a daughter is what pleases them. And that's what they want things to stay the same so they can just pretend like that. Well, I mean, if that's the case though, then the ending, it, it doesn't, it, it feels like, yeah, I get, I guess that doesn't make sense. But even if they change her, I, I, let's save this conversation we're we're about to get to the twist and i i don't i'm gonna spoil it trying to talk about this <laughs> so when she has the freak out about like she realizes that she's a a, a a robot 
And and then the, and the one thing I want to point out, she talks about having a memory track. It talks about how all the servants have a memory track, which is exactly the same thing they talked about the robot and the lonely having was a memory track. So I like that. Yeah. I like that Surly's consistent with his robots and uh, data processing. I like that. Um, yeah, but there is some consistency uh, faults in this. So she runs up the steps again <laughs> after she finds out she's a robot. She starts banging her hand and her wrist on the staircase on the uh, the banister. And she's like, I can't feel pain. No and she's pain. crying and yelling. No pain. And then she says she can't feel, uh, uh, what was it? She can't feel love. Yeah, I can't feel <laughs> love. But then, which is way over the top, like you talked about over the top acting like this scene, uh, it's it's to the point of being goofy. Um, but as she immediately breaks down, starts crying, um, they're setting up that she can't feel emotion because she's a robot, but she can feel sadness. She can feel longing. She can feel uh, she has all these. she can feel anger. She can feel all these emotions like <laughs> I just thought it was very strange that like, oh, well, you can't feel love, but you can feel every other emotion. Yeah. Like I, you know, it was just kind of inconsistent. And I, I, I hold Serling up above that. Well, it was uh, funny because I was watching this with, with my wife, but I just looked at her. I was like, she can feel desperation. Okay. It was like, just, like, yeah, that's what I mean. It's <laughs> just like, and it's a good performance, but not yeah. for a robot. No, like a, a robot that's not supposed to feel emotion. She's giving a hell of an emotional uh, performance. In this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then they, the, the parents realize like, you know, you can't unring this bell in a, in a sense of like, Jaina's always, she's going to know what she is. She's like, you know, th- this is it. Like she, she's come to the reality that is her. So, um, they're like, okay, well we know what we have to do. Then it gets to the end where, uh, the, the mother is getting another neck massage, you know, for her appetite. Um, and she's like, well, that's, that's a really good job, Nelda. Thank you. And then the camera, you know, moves up and with the very loud music cue, you see that, um, Jaina is now Nelda and she's been giving her, her, her mother a neck massage. So they, they, they put her in the role of the maid, like the physical body, they rename her, but they still have her there as, you know, as her daughter, as their daughter in a way. And that's that's the end of that story. Is that the one the one that wanted free will, the one that wanted to go off and do more, got all that wiped out, and now she's just another servant in the house. Okay. Yeah. So here's what I was gonna say before. Yeah. I just wanted to get to the spoiler, yeah. just so we could talk about it. So you know, I'm saying, do they love the idea of having a daughter, or do they actually love her? Um, the argument, that, or the confusion, I guess I have then is. If they love the idea of the daughter, they don't have a daughter anymore. They have the maid. Uh, if they loved her as a person or the artificial intelligence that the father gave her, uh, they've changed her AI and she's now the maid. So she's not the same person. So the only thing that they have is the visual of her. But it, in theory, it's not even their daughter anymore. No, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I mean, like it, it's it's gray. I don't think Sterling had an answer, and I think it's a bad teleplay. <laughs> yeah, I, I so it's it's bizarre. That you know, and beyond that, it's predictable the yeah. entire episode. Like it, three minutes in, you can call the twist. I, I will say though, the first time I watched this, um, that I felt that because there's there were some weird commercial breaks, like uh, right after mm-hmm. she uh, throws the the maid down the stairs and she runs away. Um, and so the, the father's looking at his servants and they all turn and look at him and then it goes to commercial. The first time I watched this, I was like, they're going to eventually start asking questions and turn on the mother and father. It's what I thought this was going to happen that, cause you kept seeing them go downstairs, like, and come upstairs. I really thought it was going to be, they're going to take them downstairs and they're not coming back. Like, I thought that's the way it was going the very first time I watched this. Uh, because yeah. there was all because the way the, the uh, Nelda smiled and the way the, the the servants were saying, did I not do a good job? And I almost feel like I would have preferred that versus what we yeah. got. Yeah, a, 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 ro- a robot uprising. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, I, I guess that's a compliment because he's playing with your preconceptions of the series. Is that like something evil is going on when it's not necessarily even that evil? Like it keeps you guessing to an extent but i mean you can figure out that she's a robot from the beginning and i can't say it normally now um 
and it goes exactly where you expect it by the end. And I just no, find I, it I find it unique um, that Jack Smite directed The Lonely, and it's very much there's a lot of similar beats, but I feel like they got it right the first time, you know. And that's like I yeah. And you don't normally say that about like a work you know, like sometimes well i guess maybe sometimes the originals are better in terms of like stories or songs or whatever but i feel like as a writer like serling there's times where you feel like he's going to take another crack at that and it's going to come out better than some of the stuff that we've seen you know but then the season with this episode and like king nine both feel like second takes on first story i first season ideas that I don't know if it was just like he still had a shade of it rattling around his head or he just knew that this is something like, you know what? I could write this for time. We have one set. Let's just go with this. You know, I don't know. It just feels it feels like he's already told this story before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And it, like I said, it's all themes that are going to be in countless episodes coming up as well. So I I don't know. the. I didn't necessarily hate this episode. Like, I feel like I'm coming off harsh again. We tend to do that on episodes that are just okay. Um, Cause there, you were talking about the atmosphere in the beginning that Jack's might, there is a little bit of atmosphere. Um, having the thunderstorm going on outside. Some of the lighting was a little cryptic. Um, it, he did set up with the uh, helpers in the house um, to be a little bit evil looking and everything like there is atmosphere and there there's a sense of dread, but ultimately it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then even the that's idea... where I think my problem with it is like it's got this great almost gothic mansion look to it, mm-hmm. but then the st- it doesn't complement the story at all. Yeah. And, and even like with having a, a female lead that is not happy with their life and they want more and they and they they hope for more. And they mm-hmm. kind of they kind of get they get the 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 means possibly to do it, but they're not happy with the truth. Also, feels a lot like um, I the Beholder, you know. And it's like I feel like, and I and I know I can't. I'm not going to fault Serling for you know you have to write how many scripts because it's part of your contract and and yada yada yada. It just it felt like there's coming off of something like that. Not even like three weeks previous. I don't know. It's just this one had this one come maybe earlier in the season, I, you know, maybe I'd feel a little different about it, but having some really good, strong, or at least interesting ones. And then this one just kind of shows up and you know, they're handcuffed because of uh, production, but it doesn't, it to, to write a script is the same amount of money, no matter what you do. And that's where it's just frustrating. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really don't have too much more to say about this. I'm trying to look through my notes. Um, like I said, there is a few good ideas thrown in there. Nothing necessarily original to this episode. Um, a lot of talk about identity and uh, self-aware AI. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I yeah. just, it was just so predictable, and I'm terrible at predicting twists and all that. Like I'm, I'm terrible. I watch so much stuff, but I can never call the end of, ends of movies. <laughs> and I was like, uh oh. Like three minutes in, and sure enough, it went exactly where I expected to. I was like, "Yep, yeah." Uh, just, I don't know. Yeah. Not not the smartest episode. It, no. Uh, in my notes here, I just want to mention that she refers to the servants as walking uh, record players. I thought that was funny. Um, and then she referred to the house as a playroom. I thought that was also very appropriate. Uh, and considering that people can say that this is very much like um, the replicants from Blade Runner. This was like this actually came out before uh, the Philip K. Dick story, so it's it's huh. interesting that there's some really uh, there's some there's some some road laid here that is traveled much better later, you know. Uh, but and again with the lonely, it's the same thing. Though I feel like the lonely that it, it's still a robot, but that she was kind of a blank slate that just kind of had feelings, you know. And she was and she knew she knew what she was. Here it's more of like, you know, the the false memories implanted in the memory track, and and um, when you when you finally get sophisticated enough to start questioning your surroundings, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting ideas here. Just you're 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 right. This is just not the strongest vehicle for it. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think that's a compliment we always give Serling, even with the bad episodes. It's like they're they're the seeds of good ideas. Sometimes it just feels rushed and incomplete or incomplete. Excuse yeah. me. Um, 
but I don't know if you've seen the most recent Rick and Morty. There's yes. two things in this episode that uh, uh, the noise that she was making, I was going to say uh, maybe she's experiencing true level. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then with the uh, mind erasing stuff, I was <laughs> like, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that is a, that was a very dark, that whole, that whole season of Rick and Morty has been dark, but that one, it went even darker at times. It was a, uh, and just a quick note. I just, I loved that, uh, how petty Rick is that the one memory he wanted to remove from Morty was him losing a checkers to Morty and he had to have that memory <laughs> taken away from him. Um, but, oh. but uh, yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. This is fine. Like it's just, I, I worry because there's still five more taped episodes to come and it makes you wonder, are, are they going to be all this kind of, I hope they're not this quality and sense of like being kind of, kind of middling because they're limited by, by blocking, by spacing, by sets, all of that. Um, and we also, the, the, the only Christmas episode that the Twilight Zone ever did is a taped one like this. Yeah. And we're coming up with it soon. So I don't want to grit my teeth knowing that there's five more of these, you know, like that's going to bum me out that that's actually a significant portion of the season is this, uh, videotaped handcuffed business going on. Yeah. Um, I, I like I, I kind of said it at the beginning where at least he picked a story that he was able to do. Yeah, with the videotape format, but I I honestly think the bigger issue with this was the teleplay. I I don't even think it has anything to do, other than maybe the soap opera vibe that you pick up from it and the overacting from them that may not have played as bad on film for some reason to me. Maybe it's just the connotation we have with soap operas now. Um, yeah, I I I, I can't really blame it on the format. So I, I will give a counterpoint to all this. There's that anthology series on HBO that I've not watched yet called uh, Room 404 that the, the Dupla, Duplass brothers are producing. Yeah. And yeah. the whole hook of that is that it's a new story each week, but it takes place in the same room. So huh. it, it's not the same thing as this, but they're still constrained by the same like space in the sense. And the challenge is to, to bring in different writers and directors to tell completely different stories in the same space. That's interesting. I didn't realize that's what that show was. Yeah. So I, I haven't even seen a trailer or anything. I, it's gotten mixed reviews. I mean, I think I, 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 something like I wouldn't mind even checking it out for this show cause it's anthology. So why not? Right. But, uh, it's, you know, I don't, it, it didn't make, it didn't make the waves that I think it was wanting to. And I think it's because when you're doing anthology, it, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna vary, vary right? wildly yeah, from so. episode to episode. I mean, maybe two of those are the best things that are gonna be on TV this year, but the other ones are the worst things ever put to HBO. You know? Yeah. And it's where is that gonna put the reviews of the show? It's yeah. gonna be middle of the road, and you're not gonna be excited to watch it. But maybe two of those are fantastic. You know? You don't know. And it's the same with these. It's just standing the test of time. We now have the luxury to pick and choose what episodes we watch of the Twilight Zone. So you watch the classics, forget about the bad <laughs> ones. The show is perfect. Yeah. yeah so, um, That's true. But it, yeah. And uh, we were talking about before we went on the air, um, just how much fun it is going through this episode to episode, week by week, kind of like we're actually watching them on TV as they air. Um, just cause we have those same preconceived notions that the viewers back then would have had with, we just came off of three great episodes, really digging this. You get to an episode like this and I feel disappointment. I'm sure a lot of viewers back then probably did as well. And that's why we don't pick and choose the best episodes to watch every week. That's why we're going in order so that we can experience the ones that we may not pick out. You know, and the ones that aren't highly recommended or high, highly reviewed and everything like this forces us to watch it. And it may not be the most exciting episode, but it really does make you appreciate the good episodes. It makes you appreciate what they were accomplishing. And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, who knows about that one? It could be the same thing. Yeah, it's true. You know? Yeah. So um, and, and like I, I never would have watched the Mighty Casey if it wasn't for watching these in order, you know, like I just, yeah. And I'll, I hope to never watch it again, but I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad I got to talk with the, with the, with you. And I hope that people that maybe gave it a chance 
at least enjoyed the conversation. So all I remember is uh, murders. (laughs) The thing that was the thing that didn't happen. Singular murder. (laughs) I remember the slide whistle whenever the ball wasn't shown. Uh, Uh, I I remember it. I I'm trying to block it out, but (laughs) yeah. So anyway, that so lateness of the hour, which I you know, um, it makes me wonder where that title came from because it's a good title for an episode. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know if that was a quote from something or what. I don't know. And, um, you know, it's as well as ones where you, if you saw the book on the shelf, you're like, that's a really good title. It, it's fine where it's at, <laughs> you know. Well, so, and and that's kind of the counter, I guess, the counter argument you can make to my watching them in order and this being a letdown. Um, if you weren't watching these in order and you just pick this one out randomly and hadn't watched twilight zone in a while you're like oh it's a good title you may not have been let down as much as we were but coming off of like three of some of the most iconic episodes of the entire series and then going to this one it was a hard act to follow so (laughs) some of that you know i i i'd be interested to check this out maybe years from now after kind of forgetting the order of the episodes and everything and just going back and seeing how this played a few years from now. So what you're, but what you're saying I is guess get your uh, you memory track you have seen wiped. this in the past, though, yeah. right? Yeah, so you're going to wipe your memory track, watch it again. Yeah, I had seen this one yeah. before. Um, I don't. I think I watched this one when we were first kicking around the idea of doing the podcast. So I picked some episodes at random, and I think I picked this because of the name. Because I watched this one. I watched, um, and I know I'll never forget it because I know it's coming in the last season an episode called you drive that I did not like whatsoever. So I can already tell you that in season five going in spoiler alert, there's going to be one that I wasn't happy with. Um, and so I was trying to watch some stuff all over the place, just trying to get like a different feel. And maybe I picked this one because of the, like, cause the, the image on Netflix was of Inger Stevens in the foreground. She has a very, very striking face. She's a very attractive you know, woman. And that might've been like, Oh, I wonder what this is. And not to sound like, you know, like, Oh, a pretty woman, but she has really, really pretty eyes. And maybe that's what got me to watch this. Um, so yeah, I'd seen it before. Um, so I'm just curious, how did it play the first time you watched it? Did you enjoy it going in kind of out of order or did you enjoy it more going in order like we are now? Um, it's hard to say because I mean, I texted you before we were like, like earlier in the week, I was like, good luck with this episode. So I yeah, kinda, which I, really got me excited <laughs> to watch this one. I, 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 I gotta that. say, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Um, so since I had already seen like watching it that first time, I don't know. Like, I feel like it was just kind of there and clearly I remembered enough about it to be like, Oh, it's this one, you know? So there was really nothing that's super striking about it other than, like I said, the first time I had seen it, I really thought the servants would play more into it than they did you know and yeah so they all can't be winners and they all can't be shot on film yep (laughs) (laughs) all right let's just that pretty much sums it up (laughs) (laughs) let's just get to the twist since i can't give it a zero i'm gonna give it a one (laughs) i was just gonna ask if we can we (laughs) i don't know if we've ever optioned the idea of that if you want Um, if you want to you can that's fine by me no, I'm I'm not going to be that mean. Um, I'm trying to justify giving it a one here because this thing. Well, I think the double twist of her being a robot, that's kind of obvious. But then the fact that they actually kept her and just wiped her down and removed her entire individuality, which was the whole reason for the thing to begin with. You know, like that's. I, I don't know. That didn't, <laughs> that's, that didn't even play serious okay. for me, especially with that music cue yeah. as they show her in the maid outfit. It just. I didn't like it. I did not like the twist in this. Um, I was fine with her being a robot, but again, it was super predictable. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna give it a one. I. <laughs> All right. I yeah. I don't. I don't know. I have nothing. I got nothing on this one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just another thing for people to keep in mind too. This this type of uh, uh kinescoping, and I'm not gonna go too much into this. There's a whole big deep dive article about this on Wikipedia. There was a lot of stuff that was shot around this time that was shot on video that wasn't archived on film, but not all of it was archived. Um, a lot of BBC programming, like those a little later in the 60s, was recorded because mm-hmm. it was live, and they didn't back it up. And so ah. there's there's entire series of shows that there's photos oh. from, and people remember, but they're gone because the BBC would tape over them. They'd blank the that's, tapes. That's yeah. probably what happened to Hawaiian Eye. Maybe, right? 
Um, Maybe that's why I can't find it. There's actually earlier uh, like episodes of Doctor Who that are lost because of this, um, or they just didn't keep them, you know, in good good order. the The one success story was uh, uh, what was it? Uh, John Cleese and uh, Eric Idle. I think it was Eric Idle. They went and said, "We want the Flying Circus," and they eventually got the. They they went and got it, and it was like days away from being erased. Like they almost wow. lost the entire flying circus because the BBC wanted to keep things neat and tidy, but they, they grabbed them all and they were able to save the entire series. Um, uh, and I have that box set. So I am forever grateful for them. Right. Cause, cause you imagine something like that, that has shaped, I mean, I came to the flying circus a little later. Like I, I think my first inroads to Monty Python honestly was the Holy grail. And then, yeah, mine was too. Yeah. And then I saw some of the flying circus because MTV brought it back like in the late eighties. I don't know if you probably don't remember that they would show it on MTV. It was really odd. So I saw a little bit, but like that shaped so much of my sense of humor to think that that could have been gone just because it's like, Oh, we're done with this. People liked it. The one time we played it, that's yeah, my mind. I saw a lot of the famous uh, sketches that they did. Like obviously the dead parrot. Yeah. That was flying circus, right? Initially. So, yeah. Or was that, it was that life of Brian or well, something? Well, no, the dead parrot was flying circus along with yeah. like, the, okay. Yeah. The, <laughs> I saw some of the more famous skits, but I got that box set for like $10 used at uh, FYE the one day. I had a coupon and somebody had just traded it in used. It was, uh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> That's a good buy. So, um, all right. So our next episode is not the Flying Circus. Um, actually, you know what? Let's uh, Before we get to the next episode and me butchering what that is, uh, people, uh, people, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can send us an email or leave us voicemail at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, join in the conversation on there. Um, Instagram, I should probably get the handle up and ready <laughs> just so people can actually look it up. But if you search Strange Highways on Instagram, um, you'll find us there. Otherwise, we are at Strange Highways Podcast. That's it. Yeah, at Gmail. So, yeah. Well, no, uh, oh, that's the I'm sorry. that's the Instagram okay. is at Strange Highways Podcast. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, check us out on there. There's new stuff. I'm going to be trying to post things on there uh, every other day or so. So keep an eye on that. Um, you can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and is the Satchel page up yet? It should be. If not, I'll, okay. I'll go try to fix it. All right. Um, I think we've accidentally said that we were on that already. Um, that was my bad, uh, but we should be on there now. So if that's your podcast listening, uh, format of choice, you can go check us out on there now. And then if you would also leave us a review or rate us on there on any of those platforms, it would be highly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. So next episode is one I've not seen, uh, it is the trouble with Templeton. Um, that sounds like a romantic comedy. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, all right. So. <laughs> Uh, here's the description uh, and I am not Sterling. I will try my best though. Just uh, don't move your upper lip. Yeah. That's I'll, key. I'm, I'm going to put my finger on my upper lip. No, I'll just try talking like that. Now, uh, uh, an attractive and rather unimposing room lived in by a man named Templeton. And like most rooms suggestive really of only a part of the man, the outside part. Our story next week takes off from here. Mr. Brian uh, Ahern lends us his considerable talents in a script by E. Jack Newman called The Trouble of Templeton. It could be best described as poignant, provocative, and a highly diverting trip into the Twilight Zone. That doesn't tell me anything about what this episode is going to be, and I think I messed up that actor's name. Mr. Brian Ahern? Ahern? I don't know. We're going to find out next week. Yeah, well, you'll find out when I butcher it. <laughs> Going through the casting crew. Yeah. So, yeah, I. Yeah. That sounds like it was written by somebody who hasn't actually seen the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so Jack E. Jack Newman. This is a person that we don't know, so we're gonna find out yeah. about him too. So, um, all right. So this will at least this will be filmed, so we can get back to the nice, nice crisp film look of this. And that'll be next week. Uh, until then, uh, be safe. Um, I don't know. Don't don't date robots. Or, uh, I or and, and also, I mean, if you get a massage, don't act that weird. It's just a massage. That's what I want to say about that. Yeah. Who knows if there'll be an episode next week? I saw you uh, posted that the world might be ending on Saturday. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, You know what? It better not end. This better not be the last episode of Twilight Zone we watch. It better, yeah, the world be I'll be pissed. <laughs> So if it does, everybody is nice talking to you. I'm sorry we ended on such a down note. If not, we'll see you next week.
You're not chilly, are you, Jaina, dear? You shouldn't be. 72 degrees in here. Isn't it, William? Isn't it 72 degrees? Exactly. Oh. The optimum temperature. 